Father, I'll be honest with you. If you don't come, I don't want to stay. I don't want to be here. I want to be in your presence. I want you to show up. I want you to allow us to be able to feel it, sense the power and majesty and wonder of being in your presence, of hearing your voice among all the voices that clamor for our attention. Try to tell us which way to go and what to do and how to live. May we hear your voice. So, Father, you are welcome here, and we want you to be here, and we want you to speak clearly and loudly to us through your word so that we can know the light that you're calling us to and then live it to a world that's desperate for answers and trying to find life. Thank you for the privilege of being here together this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Wow. Morning. Dave, that was really good. That no longer slave. Brother, I hope we do that again. That was phenomenal. We get to chapter 6. We'll do it again. I know that. But when we get to chapter 6, you're going to really love that song and how it fits into the context of what we're doing here as we study the Word of God together. A lot of information in your bulletin. Make sure you read it clearly and well so you don't miss out on anything. We would appreciate that in every way you could. Pray for Bob and Grace. He preached for me last Sunday. Uh, hopefully you can tell I was uh, away for a week with my kids and grandkids. Every four or five years, we're able to get everybody's schedule together, which if you know what it's like for grandkids and siblings, and both two of us are in ministry, it's incredible to try to get our schedules together. And so it takes four to five years to do that. But together all week, just had a blast. God blessed us, protected us. Bob's preached, and then he went to Green Mountains in Europe, to minister to missionaries, he and Grace both. And some of them are brand new missionaries dealing with all the changes of what goes on when you make a cultural transition as well as in a brand new environment and it's a really small team. So I know they would appreciate your prayers while they're, they're ministering all this week to those missionaries. We have district conference here this week. The CNMA is divided up into 27 different districts and Western PA is one of those. And every uh, year we have a district conference, and we're hosting it here at our church this week. You're welcome to come and check it out and see what it's all about. But uh, if you call this week and find us just wild and crazy with all kinds of things going on, at least you'll know that that is taking place this week. We would appreciate your prayers and that it goes exceptionally well. If you've ever been to my office, you'll notice that there are literally hundreds of books. And obviously in all these 40 years of ministry, I've read a lot, I had to read a lot of books through college and seminary and, and doctoral studies, just the, the list was endless and ideas that I get. People give me books all the time. And as you can well imagine, I've read most of them. Every so often, one stands out. Now, naturally, a lot of them do. But one has stood to me out among most of the ones that I've read. The book by Bill Hybels called Courageous Leadership. Bill Hybels is the lead pastor of the Willow Creek Community Church. It's one of those that started out in the 80s as a seeker-driven church trying to get people just back to, to church when they weren't going. And he wrote a book called Courageous Leadership. He begins with an opening that has literally captured my attention and has been driving me as a pastor for the last 25 or 30 years. And I want to read it to you this morning. Went to college and seminary with a, a really wise theologian and he painted a picture of the church. Now, this morning, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin our journey of living out beyond theology of what it is that God did, what he offers, what he does for us, what he calls us to, to now how to live it out in the context of the local church. 
and he talks about us, the body of Christ that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. He says this, there was once a community of believers, and he's describing the early church in the book of Acts, that were so totally devoted to God that their life together was changed and charged by the power of God's spirit. It was a band of Christ followers that believed and loved each other with a radical kind of love. They took off their mask and they shared life with one another. They laughed, they cried, they prayed, they sang, they served. Those who had more shared with those who had less. People related together with one another and all the barriers between them were broken down. Acts 2 talks about this community of believers, the church. And it offered unbelievers a vision of life so beautiful that it took their breath away. It was so bold, so creative, so dynamic that they couldn't resist it. Verse 47 of Acts chapter 2 tells us that the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. For years, he said, I went to Washington, D.C. almost every month, and I met with some of the highest elected officials in our country. What I discovered is not how powerful they are, but how limited their power really is. All they can actually do is rearrange the yard markers on the playing field of life. They can't change a human heart. They can't heal a wounded soul. They can't turn hatred into love. They can't bring about repentance and forgiveness, reconciliation and peace. I went through every option I could think of, considering what they had to offer. Businesses offer really needed jobs. Educators teach useful knowledge of the world. Self-help programs offer effective methods of behavior modification. All that's great. But can any of it really transform the human heart? I only believe one power on this planet has the power to do that. It's the power of the love of Christ. A love that conquers sin, wipes out shame, heals wounds, reconciles enemies, patches broken dreams, and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. And what grips my heart every day is the knowledge that the radical message of that transforming love has been given to the church. Which means in a very real way, the future of the world rests in hands of local congregation like ours. It's the church or lights out. Without churches so filled with the power of God that they can't help but spill goodness and peace and love and joy into the world, then depravity will win the day. Evil will flood the world. But it doesn't have to be that way. Strong, growing communities of faith can turn the tide of history. They really can. So don't bother looking anywhere else. It's up to us, the church. Now, when I say the word church, there are a variety of pictures that come to your mind. A lot of people think of the building or a building. Some of us think of that little country church I grew up with. When my wife and I travel, no matter where we travel, obviously God has blessed us. We've been able to travel in a number of different places. But especially when I travel across the country, a number of things always catch my attention. Almost every community I go through, there is a church. And, and I see it. I notice it. I don't know that everybody does, but in my wild, my context, I do. I also notice horse farms. Just part of my life. And whether or not they have John Deere's on them. I grew up that way. You know those first five years of such formulative years? It just my dad loved John Deere's. That's all we ever had. And, of course, he hated farm malls, internationals, because they were the neighbors next door. And it's just what you grew up with. And everywhere I travel, I see one of those. We just come back from the Outer Banks, and I'm telling you, there's a Baptist church in every single corner of every single community we ever went through. They're everywhere. 
Some see it as a building. A lot of us think of it as people. Someone has written that some see the church as a kind of non-segregated waiting room for people expecting the next bus to heaven. Some view it as a low-calorie dessert for those who want something nice that doesn't spoil their image. Some see it as a religious country club, while others see it as a kind of water boy in the game of life. Some see it as a religious democracy trying to legislate morals to the rest of the world. Of course, most of us hopefully see it as a place to honor and worship God. And God sees it as the one thing, the thing that he has chosen to spread his message and change the world. Not a building. Not a steeple. Not what we call it. People were angry when we moved in here because it's more like a theater than a sanctuary. It's not a building. It's people bought by the blood of Jesus Christ who have committed their lives to him, who really believe that because of that transformation, we have the opportunity to take this message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And by that, their lives can be changed just like ours. Because as Heibel said, there is absolutely nothing on this planet that can change the world like the gospel of Jesus Christ and him flooding into our lives. We're in the middle of a political battle. One of the most fascinating, frustrating battles I've ever seen in 50 years of watching politics. And no matter what they promise us, because they promise us everything, who wouldn't? Elect me, I'll give you a chicken in every pot. We've been saying that for 50 years. Everybody will get a job. Your college will be free. I mean, who wouldn't say that's a good deal? It's unbelievable. And then when I look at this and I'm reminded of that and all the power they think they have and the things available to us, the one thing that God has chosen to change and radically transform this world has been given to us, not them. No matter what they think or what they promise or what they say they'll do. It's been given to us, the church. And not just Community Alliance, obviously, but those who have been bought by the blood of Christ, who call themselves followers of Jesus, not just Christians, but followers of Jesus, who go to church on a Sunday morning with a variety of different names on the front banner, but who really are following Christ. That power has been given to us. And Paul, the passionate coach, comes to us in Ephesians chapter 4 and says, okay, now that I've given you all the theology, let me talk to you about living it out. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to spend the next few weeks here. I, I know I've been saying this over and over again. Ephesians is one of my favorite books. This is one of my favorite chapters. This is one of my favorite prayers when we got to chapter 2. This is one of my favorite sections in chapter 4. And you're wondering, how many favorites do you have? I have a lot. Got to see my iPad. Under favorites, it's a hoot. I'm thinking, okay, you know, my kids are always, do your kids ask you which one's the favorite? Your kids ever ask you, you ever answer that question? It's fun when you answer it. As a prisoner for the Lord, it costs Paul everything to do what he's doing. And he's not just saying, I am captured by Christ, I'm a slave to Jesus and not a slave to the world like we sang this morning. He literally is a prisoner for the Lord. I urge you with passion that you can't even fathom, he's trying to help them understand, to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Not just simply that you call yourself a Christian, but call yourself a Christ follower. I am begging you, Paul said, just so you know, I'm going to do this for the next six verses, so hang on. I am begging you with as much enthusiasm and passion as I can say, I am begging you, you call yourself a Christ follower, right? Call yourself a believer in Christ. 
I'm begging you. Then live a life worthy of that calling and worthy of that name. If you're in a church long enough, you get to repeat stuff every once in a while. And I would love to do before I leave uh, ministry to do one more series on the Ten Commandments. It's just a, a powerful thing. And he said, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And we all equate that to swearing. And I believe that. I get that and understand that. And I, I, I actually think that's true in a lot of ways. But I really honestly believe deep in my soul it means if you're going to claim that you're a follower of me, then you better live it out or don't take the name. Because otherwise you're taking my name in vain. You claim you're a God follower, a Christ follower, but you're not living it out. Don't, don't do that. Either don't claim that you are. Or if you are and claim that you are, then live it out. Giving you all the resources necessary to do that. But live it out. So I'm begging you to live a life worthy of the calling that you received. Now, when we get into the second half of this, he'll tell us a little bit more what that looks like. Let me give you some little thoughts about that, though. He said, be completely humble and gentle. Not partially. Not try to be a little bit humble. Completely humble, which means not arrogant, not proud. Didn't get there on my own. But be completely humble and gentle. Be patient is my favorite one. Bearing with one another in love. It's fascinating that he put those two things together. Because to bear with people in love and to be able to walk together with people requires an enormous amount of patience. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort. He puts the burden responsibility on whom? When he said make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Who does he give the burden responsibility to do that to? Who? Us. Not up to the Spirit. Spirit, help us to get along. No, he says to you and me, all of us, make every effort which puts the burden responsibility on us to maintain unity. Don't get uptight about things that don't really matter, and he'll talk about that as well. And in case you're wondering if there are many gods and a lot of ways to heaven, almost as if Paul said, let me clarify this a little bit. There's one body. Doesn't matter what tag you have on the front door. It doesn't matter what sign you have out front. Doesn't matter what's on the marquee. There's one body. Those of us who are born again with the blood of Christ. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So in case you're wondering if there are multiple gods and many ways to heaven, there's one. Paul says, I just want you to know that. We've been saying that for 2,000 years. Well, we've been arguing it for 2,000 years. Paul said 2,000 years ago. The Word of God said 2,000 years ago. God himself said 2,000 years ago. Six when he started in the Old Testament. There's one God and I'm it. <clears throat> Each one of you has been given as grace. Each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is what it says. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower regions. It means he went to the pit. When he died off the cross, they took him off the cross. For three days he went to the pit of uh, paradise. In some translations, we're not going to pull this one apart. He descended into the very one who ascended higher than the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers... He gave us all those gifts. He gave those gifts to do this, to equip his people to do ministry. 
to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the purpose. So what? So that we'll no longer be infants tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, blown here and there by every kind of teaching and every cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, we're going to speak the truth in love, We'll grow to become in every respect mature the body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him or from him the whole body, the body of Christ, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as every part does its work. God's program, God's plan for reaching the world has always involved incarnation. In a few months, hard to believe, We're going to be celebrating Christmas. I don't know how many days. I know you already know how many days. We get a little memo every once in a while, how many days till Christmas. I'm going, okay, hold it off, hold it off, hold it off. I'm not ready for the transition to take place. But we're going to celebrate Christmas. And one of the grand designs of God's amazing plan is that God himself will come, incarnate himself, and live among us. That's what John 1 is all about. The beginning was God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he made his dwelling. He tabernacled with us. God himself came into this world. When he chose to visit this world, he chose by offering himself, dwelled among us. Jesus was the incarnation of God, God in human flesh appearing to men. But that was only the beginning. That incarnation still goes on. The life of Jesus is still visible, but not through an individual physical body limited to one place at a time, but this complex body called the church. In Acts, the writer tells a a friend of his or a very well-known man of his, this is the record of what God has done. This is the record of the work of Christ. Let me now tell you what happened after he left. Let me now tell you what happens after the church takes over. It's the exact same thing, but now in a different form because now everybody has a part of it. When the church lives in and by the Spirit, it is the extension of the life of Jesus Christ to the world. One of the primary responsibilities of the church, not the building, but the body, the people, is to reveal the nature and character of God to a lost and dying world. You and I have the privilege of being able to show people what God is like. That's what Jesus intended to do when he came. So you want to know what God is like? Read the first five, first four books of of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know exactly what God is like. We always wonder. It's one of the questions we always have. It's one of the questions my kids have, my grandkids have. I can tell you exactly what God is like. And I'll read to them certain sections of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then he says, I just need you to know that that vision of God that I revealed to you has now been given to you as a responsibility to show to others. This is what God looks like. He's powerful. He's amazing. He's loving, he's caring, he's giving, he's patient, he's tender, he's kind. His arms are open wide to everybody from all walks of life. Let me show you what God looks like. Go to a local church and you'll begin to see people loving and caring and opening their arms to other people, helping out those who are going through difficult times. Let me show you what God is like. And that's what he keeps saying over and over again. What Jesus came to do, he's now given us the responsibility to do. Which is why then, Paul says, I urge you, I beg you to live a life worthy of that calling because everything that he came to do has now been left up to us. So it's one of those jobs you want to do well. One of those jobs you want to do really well. In this chapter, Paul moves on from theology to practical living. 
He said, this is what you were. You were dead. You had absolutely no hope. But God saw you that way and saw your value. And he rescued you. He brought you back to life. He saw your hopelessness, but he also saw our value. We couldn't do it on our own. We didn't dare try to do it on our own. But he rescued us and redeems us and now calls us his work of art. And now he calls us to live it out. With words of passion, he's calling us to live up to our potential. Those of you who are raising kids, isn't that one of the things you want them to do? You just want them to live up to their potential. Now, sometimes parents put such high expectations on their kids, they're never going to reach them. Coaches do the same. I don't have a lot of time for coaches who scream and yell. If you're one of those, I'm sorry. I'm more sorry for the kids that you coach. I don't have a whole lot of time for coaches who scream and yell and try to motivate through manipulation or intimidation. But I do love those coaches who walk alongside and say, look, you have such amazing potential. And I just want you to be able to reach it. I don't care that you're a superstar. I don't care if you ever get to the NFL or the NBA or whatever. But I really believe that you have an amazing amount of potential. And I just want to help you be able to understand it and to live up to it. That's exactly what Paul's trying to do, is helping them understand who they are and what they have the opportunity to do. And he just says, I want you to live up to that potential and what you're called to be. This section of Scripture is one of the three main texts that talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. A couple others spattered throughout the New Testament, but those three sections of Scripture are the main three that talk about all the spiritual gifts that have been given to the church. And you'll notice in this section of Scripture that he decides who gets what. It's Christ who decides who gets what. He decides what you have and what he wants you to have. Well, I want this gift. I wish I could do that. I, and, and I get it. I understand what some of us, a lot of us, I struggle with that at times. I wish I had this gift. I wish I could do that better. I, I look at my preaching skills and, and the things that I wish I could do better. I, I hear guys that are phenomenal storytellers, funny as anything. And I thought, oh, I wish I had that gift. I wish I could do that. I wish I could tell that story. And God says, look, okay, seriously, I called you when you were in fourth grade. I knew what you were going to be. I knew what you, I wanted you to be. I, I knew your limitations. I know your skill set. I'm okay with that. You need to be okay with that. Gifts of the Holy Spirit have been given by him to us. He's given some, look at verse 11, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. This section, these two verses here are the best verses for any pastor. You know why? He's telling, it's telling us he gets paid to get you to do the work. I mean, what's a great job or what? That's what he's essentially saying. I've given some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for this very purpose, to equip his people to do ministry. Why? So that the body of Christ can be built up until we all, that's all of us who claim Christ, reach unity in the faith and a knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Y'all who are parents, you want your kids to become mature. You really don't want him to stay in diapers for the next 30 years, right? I mean, you want him to grow up. You want him to mature. That's what God wants from us. We're going to start out as babies in Christ, but he wants us to become mature. And so he's going to do everything he possibly can, give as many people in the family of God, as many gifts as possible to help us to do that so that we can attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This passage 
is God's plan for what the church is and should be. This passage is God's plan for what the church is and should be. Someone has said years ago this statement. Let me explain all of this in a contemporary fashion. How many of you have been to at least one football game? Have you been to at least or seen one game, right? I mean, seriously, Monday night's game, that was really good. <laughs> I mean, that was really good. I, I, I wonder, you know, did they script that? And, you know, Tomlin said, oh, yeah, we scripted that. I'm going, seriously, you did not script that. I watched the Packer game before that, and I saw Brett Favre pull down and throw a touchdown going, you don't script that. You've seen one, you know what it's like. Imagine how a football game would be played if the average football team played like some churches carry out ministry. Let's say God's the owner. Jesus showed us how the game was to be played. The Bible is the playbook. The pastors are the coaches. You are the players. The world is the fans. And the opposing team is Satan's army. Scene number one for many churches looks like this. The coach goes out in the field all by himself. The ball is kicked. The coach would catch it. The opposing team would come at him, and he would go to meet Jesus. That's pretty much the way a lot of churches function, where the one guy does all the ministry. The early church in the book of Acts, chapter 6, you don't have to look there, but in chapter 6, this church is growing exponentially. Peter, who I said a few weeks ago, cowered in a corner when one little girl asked him if he was a follower of Christ, to now in the beginning of Acts, preaching a sermon where 3,000, 3 to 7,000 people came to faith in Christ. It said 3,000. That number is larger than that in the context of all who came. And now this church has grown out of control. I mean, it's one thing to keep 12, 1,500 people aware of who each other is in two multiple services. Can you imagine twice that many in just a few weekends from this little band of people of 120 in the upper room to thousands of people? And they're trying to minister and meet all the needs. And all of a sudden, people are getting upset. Needs aren't getting met. Some people are getting ignored. And everybody comes to the pastor and said, look, this just is not right, not fair. My needs aren't getting met. There's some people getting ignored. And so they get together, and they figure out what to do. And that's exactly what those first six verses are all about. First few verses of chapter 6 are all about when they try to figure out how to carry out the ministry. They recognize that not everything's being done, and the people's needs aren't getting met. So they try to figure out how do we disperse this so that others can be involved in the process. Did you know that the average church in North America is 75 or less? As a matter of fact, 85% of churches in North America are, let me back up. The average church in North America is 75 people. 85% of the churches in North America are 75 or less. You know why? Basically, that's about what one man can take care of effectively. We like it that way. We want him to take care of us and meet all our needs and be there for us at every circumstance. But that's pretty much what one guy can do. That's what these disciples realized. So they came together and said, look, we have to recognize what our priorities are. In my case, it's doing what I do on Sunday morning. It's leading this team, giving direction, sharing the, uh, the vision of God. Our responsibility is to pull enough people together to do the work of the ministry and be involved in the process. And that's exactly what they did. The first place deacons were chosen. And you'll see at the end of that section of Scripture that when they realized their priorities, they knew as a pastor they couldn't do everything. They divided the load and spread it out. They got others involved in the process who were godly and wise. 
And you'll notice at the end of that scripture, when they did that, God added to the church again hundreds and hundreds of people. And more and more came into faith, and the church continued to grow. So that, scene, that doesn't work when the pastor tries to do it all. Scene number two in this football scenario is when all the players stay in the huddle. They like being in the huddle. They don't care if they're penalized. It doesn't really matter to them. They like being in the huddle. They talk about the plays. They study the plays. They talk about their thoughts about the plays. They especially love those end times plays. You know, the world's going to end. We're in the last days. I get those notes all the time. We're in the last days. You need to do this. Can I just clarify something? We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Well, the church is under attack. The church has been under attack for 2,000 years. Not like God said, oh, wow, I did not know that. <laughs> I'm glad you reminded me. It's tough down there, isn't it? Well, let's just come on home. Just come to heaven. No. He said, I got a plan, and I don't want anybody to perish. It's going to be tough. Matter of fact, it could cost you your life. But I've got a plan, and I want you to carry it out, and I want you to do it if it costs you your life. Because there's a lot of people that aren't going to get to heaven if you don't share the truth of Jesus Christ. So give it all you've got, knowing it could cost you everything. Do your best. It's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be hard. People won't like you. They won't always like your message, but do it with love and grace and tenderness and gentleness, not shoving it down their throat. And letting them see the love of Jesus because that's the only way they're ever going to understand what I've done. That we get to spend all eternity together. Meantime, it's going to get hard. Some have described the average football game as 22 men in a field desperately needing rest and 50,000 people in the stands who desperately need to exercise. <laughs> Sometimes as a church is that way with 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. You and I understand and develop our spiritual life through understanding the word that we talked about last Sunday morning or the last time I was here together about feeding your soul on a regular basis, not just one meal a, a week, but every day, through relationships with one another, through serving. Those of you who teach, don't you learn much more when you teach than when you listen? Because you're preparing, you're understanding, you want to be able to give it out, you want to be able to communicate it well. As great as our time is together as a family of God on Sunday morning, I love this place. I love singing. I love sharing. I love being together. But our responsibility is out there in being able to change the world. Scene number three is when the team argues with one another. The color of the uniform, the color of the play. Four people want to be quarterbacks. Nobody wants to be guard or tackle. And that's certainly what could have happened to them in the book of Acts. But they got together and they understood the cause that we're fighting for, the opportunity to change the world. And to do absolutely everything they could to see the gospel communicated so that the world could come to faith in Christ. And they knew and understood that the responsibility had been placed into their hands. And so they wanted to do it well. Scene number four is when the team goes out to play without equipment. No resources to win the game at all. A number of years ago, I found this fascinating. A number of years ago, uh, in the Rose Bowl Parade in Pasadena, California, a float stopped in the middle of the street. Everything came to a halt. Everyone tried to find out what went wrong, only to find out that it simply ran out of gas. Now, the funny part of that is that the float represented the Standard Oil Company. <laughs> According to Ephesians, the whole book, you have every resource available. 
There's absolutely no reason on the planet to not do what we're called to do. And when we do what we're called to do as ministers, and when we do what we're called to do to serve and to love and to give and to care and to teach and take the next generation in our children's department and youth department and invest time and energy into them, there should never be a church when we're begging for volunteers to serve in children's ministry or youth ministry, ever. Now, we do it, and I get that. But we should never, ever have a church where we have to beg to have you serve in children and youth ministry. You get the opportunity to invest in the next generation and to see them find what you found in Christ. All the resources are given. <laughs> what I love about our church is that we really give you all the resources. I had a lady for the very first time come from another church years ago, volunteered to teach Bible school. Came to me afterwards. She said, I've never seen a place like this in my life. There's not one resource we've ever had to have that's not just given to us and not there. Then you walk into the resource room, and you're going, you've got to be kidding. You've got a whole room full of resources to be able to do this? Yeah. God says, look, i got all the resources you'll ever, ever need to take this gospel of Christ to the end of the earth. To not only have your life transformed, but to share this life so that others can have it as well. No reason to ever run out of gas, especially when you're called the church. The body of Christ. The living visible image of God that has the opportunity to change the world. What does that look like? How do we then do all of that? How do we flesh that out on a regular basis? I'm so glad you asked because next week I'll tell you. God, I'm, it's still, I still stand in amazement. I've been doing this for such a long period of time and I'm still fascinated that you would leave the responsibility of changing the world into our hands. But you did. You trusted us. As I held that little one in my hands this morning, and I recognize that you entrusted into to Tim and Selena's hands this little life, you trusted into our hands the life of the gospel of Jesus. And so as a church, this local body here in the Butler community and the, the impact that we have, I, I'm just, I'm always overwhelmed when I look at the the, the network and web of influence that all of our people have all over this town in businesses and uh, it's just the, the list is endless so Father we want to live up to our potential we want to be all that you've designed us to be we want to be all that you called us to be so help us as we look at this section and recognize that you have given us all the resources necessary called us out of death into life you See us as a work of art, something that you want to showcase, but not just to be on an easel, but to be a demonstration of your love and grace to the world. And so help us to do that well. I thank you for entrusting me this awesome responsibility of being senior pastor of this church. I love that. There's days that it's absolutely overwhelming, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I'm delighted that we can do this together. And so continue to use us, encourage us, inspire us as we serve you. This week, Dave and the team and a lot of people here had the opportunity to serve the whole district. Pastors are going to sit in some of these pews who are shot. They're just so tired, so worn out, trying to live out what you've called them to be and not having a church that responds to that. And so I, I just keep thinking of those guys, and I pray that this week is a week of encouragement, that we can serve them well, that they can 
get some wind back in their sails because some of these guys are in churches of 75 who are doing everything themselves. And so may this be a really good week and allow us as a CAC family, a part of this grand design of yours, to minister well to them. Thank you again for your love and grace and for your word and power that it holds. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Always at the end of every service, we ask you, if any of you need to have prayer, we'd love to do that. Tim has to be prayed over and anointed. One of the things that we believe in, in our theology in the CNMA, as well as in many hundreds of other churches like us, that God is still available to heal and to touch us. And we pray over people. We do what James 5 says. If you have a need, come and happy sing if you're sad cry if you need God's touch come and we'll pray over you we'll anoint you with oil and we'll ask God to intervene in your life so if you happen to be one of those I don't always say that every week but every week that is available and I always want to make sure you know that hope you have a great 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 week and uh, if there's anything we can do for you please let us know God bless you have an amazing day Tim you'll come down for a couple elders here this morning come with me that would be awesome